All right. If you have your Bible, I'd like you. I'd like to invite you to open up to John chapter ten. Those verses that Howard read for us earlier, verses fourteen to twenty-one of of John chapter ten. We're living through one of those times right now, one of those moments in history where we are looking for and depending on really good leadership. Would you, would you agree that there are important tasks that have needed to be accomplished, like securing medical equipment, staffing hospitals, testing and tracking results? There are important decisions that need to be made, like when to relax social distancing and how and when to get the economy going again. All politics aside, many have really appreciated the leadership that our governor has given during this time, his ability to take charge, to make hard decisions, to get things done, all with a steady hand, steady nerves, a sense of humor at times, as he's communicated with us each day. But it's not just governmental officials we need good, or good leadership from. It's also leaders of businesses and uh, employers, uh, leaders of hospitals, ambulance, ambulance corps, police precincts. So question, what makes for a good leader? Is it being decisive? Is it making wise and good decisions? Is it showing courage? Is it making difficult decisions when they have to be made? Is it being fair? Is it treating everyone equally? Is it being politically savvy, knowing when to throw your base a bone to keep them committed to you? Well, today's passage is about leadership, and in it we see Jesus's idea of good leadership. And let me warn you, Jesus's way is radical. It's so radical that people who knew him and who experienced his leadership were polarized about him. Look again at verses 19 to 21 of our passage. The Jews were divided, or the, the Jews who heard these words of Jesus were again divided. Many of them said, he is demon-possessed and raving mad. Why listen to him? But others said, these are not the sayings of someone possessed by a demon. Well, after we look at, at Jesus' approach to leadership this morning, you can decide for yourself if his approach makes for good leadership or not. In verse 14... Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. Isn't that comforting? But we tend to hear that and think how heartwarming, how cozy. We picture Jesus cuddling lambs and um, having soft and gentle fleeces in his arms. And while that may not completely be on the wrong track, that's not actually what Jesus is wanting us to picture here. And it's not primarily what he's claiming for himself. Because you see, Jesus's claim here, and in fact, much of this 10th chapter of John, is a strong allusion to a famous passage in the Old Testament in Ezekiel 34. That is a passage about the failure of the shepherds of Israel, the leaders of Israel, to lead their people well. And the result of that leadership failure at the time of Ezekiel 34 was, was the time, it was the time of the Babylonian exile, and so it was exile, it was destruction, it was devastation for the people of Israel. 
And if you go back and you read Ezekiel 34, God says in Ezekiel, fine, the shepherds of Israel, the nobles, the priests, and above all the kings, they have failed. They have not been good shepherds. But I still love my people. And so I, God says, I will become the shepherd of my people. And I will lead them well. That's the backdrop of our passage in John 10. You see, usually in the Bible, shepherd is a metaphor for leader. It's a metaphor very often for a king. And what all of this means then is that when Jesus stands up and calls himself the good shepherd, he is saying two things. First, he's claiming to be a leader. In fact, the leader, the king of Israel, the leader of God's people. I am the good king. I am the good shepherd, the good leader that God's people have been missing. And then second, Jesus is also actually claiming to be God. Can you believe it? (laughs) Remember in Ezekiel 34, who was going to shepherd God's people when all the human shepherds had failed? God was. God said he would come and shepherd his people himself. And now Jesus comes and says, I am the good shepherd. I am. That in itself is something that God said of himself. If you know the story of Moses and how God revealed himself to Moses, God called himself the I am. I am the good shepherd. It's an audacious claim on the lips of Jesus. Jesus is claiming so much more than just that he wants to be a kind and gentle caregiver to little lambs. Jesus is making major political claims here and major religious claims too. He's claiming to be the rightful king of God's people, the long-anticipated good king that they need, and he's claiming even more than that. He's claiming that as that king, he's none other than God himself come to his people. What a claim! No wonder that many thought he was demon-possessed and raving mad. No wonder down in verse 31, they pick up stones and they try to kill Jesus because, verse 33, you, they say, a mere man claimed to be God. Who talks like that? Who goes around claiming to be God? Crazy people, right? People that we find in mental hospitals. Or evil people, deceivers cult leaders, charlatans who are trying to lead people astray because they're on a power trip. So when Jesus talks like this, we basically have three choices here. Either Jesus is crazy, or he's a deceiver, or could it be that Jesus actually is what he says he is? Well, again, as we look at what he claims, you'll have to decide that for yourself. So from Jesus' perspective, then what makes for a good leader? What is Jesus's way of leadership, his way of being a good shepherd, his way of being a good king? Well, it's first and foremost, love. For Jesus, the key to leadership is love. Let me ask you, love, does that come up in the leadership books that make the New York Times bestseller list? Well, let me define love in a slightly different way, which which might make more sense when we think of leadership. When we face tough times, dangerous times, 
and we feel concerned and we feel anxious and we feel fearful, the best leaders manage to put that fear aside and to put aside their, their temptation to just want to do what they need to do to protect themselves and those closest to them. And they manage to step out and do what's best for those that they lead. That's what love is. It's moving past your fear to do what's best for others. Well, in this passage, we see Jesus as a leader doing just that, expressing love, his love, and we see it moving in three movements. We see Jesus's love moving in three directions. And not surprising to many of you, if you've been around this church for a while, those three directions are up, in, and out. Up toward God, in as in building a community of those who are Jesus's people, and then lest that become ingrown, ingrown and clickish, out as well, outward focus to include and welcome others also. So I'd like to look with you at each of these three movements. First up, for Jesus, what most drives and motivates and directs and empowers his leadership and his life and his purpose is his love for God, his Father. Now, I know it's confusing. I just said that Jesus was claiming to be God, and now he's also claiming to have an intimate relationship with God. The way Jesus explains it elsewhere is that he is God's son, and God is his father, and they're both God. And theologians and saints have had fun probing the depths of that mystery for millennia, but we're going to have to skip over pondering it now for the sake of time and stick to the point Jesus is actually making in verses 15 and 17 to 18. And that is that Jesus loves God, whom he calls his father, and his father loves him. And this relationship of love that Jesus has with his father is what gives Jesus, as a leader, the security and the courage. It's what gives him the purpose and the identity that is a solid foundation to energize his leadership, to give him resolve, to give him courage for him to move past his own fear in order to do what's best for others so that he can love them. Verse 15, the father knows me and I know the father. This word know is, is interesting. When, when my wife Anne and her brothers were maturing into their late teens, she sensed them drifting apart, and, and she once said to them, she said, I know you, but I feel like I don't really know you, and they still tease her about that, but it really captures the two meanings of the word know, right? I know you, but I don't feel like I know you. One is more casual and intellectual. The other is more intimate, and for Jews like Jesus at this time, that second meaning is the one that they usually meant by the word no, the intimate, personal one. In fact, they even used this word uh, for making love, didn't they? The man knew his wife and she bore a child. For the ancient Jew, to know is experiential, it's intimate. When Jesus says he knows the Father and the Father knows him, this is deeply, this is a deeply personal relationship. Again, who talks like this? What kind of leader talks like this? 
Well, then Jesus adds in verse 17, the reason the Father loves me is that I lay down my life. In verse 18, I lay it down of my own accord, this command I received from my Father. Now, just for a minute, to understand what Jesus is saying here, we're going to have to go deep. So stick with me for a minute. Verse 17, when you pair it with verse 18, could seem really twisted. The reason the Father loves me is that I lay down my life. This command I received from my Father. What kind of father commands his son to give up his life and then loves his son because he does it? That could seem really twisted until you understand what Jesus adds in the first part of verse 18. I lay it down, I lay my life down on my own accord. In other words, the father isn't asking the son to do anything the son isn't already committed to doing, doesn't already want to do. There's no conflict here. There's no coercion. There's only like-mindedness and agreement between father and son. So question then, what does it mean that the father loves the son because the son lays down his life? It means that both agree that this kind of sacrifice, this kind of selfless love for those you lead is exactly what great leadership looks like. Think of it this way. If you're a parent, you try hard to instill in your kids good values. And what happens when your kids grow up and I, as a parent, I see my kids demonstrating those values. I feel proud, right? I feel glad. I feel grateful. I feel love for them. That's my boy. That's my girl, right? That's what we feel when we see our kids demonstrating the values that we've tried to instill in them. And that is what the father is feeling here as the son exercises the kind of leadership which is loving, which is self-giving, which is sacrificial, which lays down his own life for the sake of those he leads. The father says, that's my boy. That's what it means to be like me. If only we had more leaders like Jesus today. Because this is what the Father values. This is what God is like. And the Son says, I'm that way too, Father. I know you, Father. I love you, Father. I know your way is love, and that's how I want to live. And that's how I want to lead too, to lay down my life for those I lead. And so that leads us second to the second movement in Jesus' love, which is inward. It's Jesus' love for his own people, his own sheep, as he calls them. Those who are already in as a part of God's family. Jesus says of us, I know my sheep and they know me. Again, we need to pause here and remember what this word know means. It's personal. It's intimate. Jesus, as leader, knows his people and they know him. How much? Verse 14, can you believe it? Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. Wow, Jesus, our leader, our good shepherd, knows us, and we know him like the Father knows the Son, and the Son knows the Father. 
Jesus doesn't lead from afar, detached, elevated, from some governor's mansion somewhere. No, Jesus knows us intimately, and he wants us to know him too. I can assure you there are depths of relationship, of intimacy possible in our relationship with Jesus that I know I haven't fully experienced yet. There is more. But here's the more amazing thing. Jesus knows me fully and intimately, and he still loves me. In fact, he loves me to the ultimate degree so much that he gave his life for me. Jesus loves his people to the utmost so much that he laid down his life for us. The best leaders do what it takes. They sacrifice themselves for the sake of those they lead. The ultimate sacrifice, right? So why does Jesus have to lay down his life for us? Why? Well, because look at our world. We as humans have chosen a course of life, a way of functioning in the world by our greed, by our selfishness, that is heading us toward decay and destruction. And we're all implicated in it. And when things get messed and when danger lurks, Someone has to take their life in their hands to save us. And the only way to rescue us from death and destruction, from that being the last word, was for Jesus to take that death and destruction on himself and into himself as God. He was the only one big enough to do it, to put all of that death and destruction to death in himself as an atonement. And then to take up his life again, to rise again to a new reality, a new hope, a new world, so he can lead us into that new world too. It was costly for Jesus. Love often is. But Jesus didn't shy away from the cost or away from the danger. Why? Because he loved his father. And they both knew that this is what God is like. This is what good leadership is like. It's love. And Jesus wanted first to honor God and to reveal to us God's love. And then second, Jesus also knew us and loved us too. And he loved his followers. He loved his people. But God's love is bigger than that even. Jesus' love is too big to be just for a small, closed, exclusive group of people. And so third, Jesus' leadership expresses itself not only up toward God and not only in to his people, but also out toward others. Verse 16, I have other sheep. They're not of this sheep pen, and I must bring them also. Back in the original context here, Jesus is talking to Jews, and so the other sheep likely would have been all the other peoples of the world, the non-Jews. Jesus wanted to invite them in as well. Well, for us today, by extension, the question is, who hasn't been invited in yet? Who's still on the outside? Jesus loves them too. Jesus wants to invite them in so they can be part of his love as well. That's leadership. That's what it means to be a good shepherd. It's love, it's care, it's concern, it's sacrifice for those you lead. First for your own people, 
then inclusively for others to invite them in as well. All because you love God and this is what God is like. So that's the kind of leader that Jesus is. You decide, is he crazy? Is he stark raving mad? Is he a lunatic? Is he demon possessed? Or is he possibly the best leader ever? The true leader, the real good shepherd. Well, for those of us who follow Jesus, who believe he is the good shepherd, here's the question for us. How do we make all this practical in our lives? What difference does Jesus' leadership make for us who follow him? We recently finished a sermon series on transformation, right? And some of you asked, well, what's ultimately the goal of this transformation? What does it actually look like to be a transformed person? And in a word, it looks like being more like our leader. It looks like being more like Jesus. It looks like growing in our love in all three movements. In our love up toward God, in our love in toward one another, and in our love out toward the world, just like Jesus. It means we grow, we dig deep, first of all, into knowing God into a relationship with God, to love God, to know and experience God's love for us so that we, like Jesus, will have the security, the sense of identity that it takes so that we can move past our fear and so that we can love others too. If we could put the slide up now, I want to think about what this looks like for us now in these days of this pandemic when everyone is social distancing. Well, remember these three letters, E for everyone, S for social, and D for distancing, because it'll help you remember our vision for our church during this pandemic. Our vision is that we'd, we'd love well during this time, not giving in to fear. And, and what does it look like to love well? Well, if we can go to the next slide, E is for each of us as a missionary. This is the out part of our love. Each of us is a missionary. What's a missionary? It's simply one who is sent out on a mission. You and I have been sent by God, sent by Jesus, our leader, to share his love, to spread his love. You are a missionary to your friends, to your coworkers, to your neighborhood, to express God's love to them, to serve them, to bless them to not let fear or worry crowd out love, but to allow love to move us out for the sake of others. So question, how can we do that creatively right where we are? We as a church, we can't tell you how to do that. We can't organize it for you, but, but we do want to empower you. And let me give you two ways that we're seeking as a church to do that. First, we have set aside several thousand dollars in grant money to help. We're calling it mini grants for mission. So if you have an idea, if you see an opportunity or a need in, in your neighborhood or with your coworkers or friends to reach out to them, to serve them, to meet a need around you, but you could use some money in order to pull it off, then we'd like to help you with that grant. Um, the person to contact for details about that are Terrence Finn, 
Um, I, if he's on today, Terrence, maybe you can put your contact information in the chat for people. He can tell you how to apply. Um, you can also contact the, oh, he's, he's there. So there it is in the chat, his uh, email address. Thanks, Terrence. And then a second way that um, we want to help you be a missionary right where you are is that each week we're going to try to put out as a church a simple mission challenge for all of us. Something simple you can do right where you are to reach out. Um, we put the first one out yesterday. Maybe some of you saw it. Maybe you already know how you want to reach out. But in case you need a little help, in case you need an idea, we want to give you each week a simple idea, a simple challenge that, that you can do that week. So we're going to email it probably each Saturday. We'll also um, find other ways to, to give it to you, to remind you of what it is. So for this first week, here's what it is. Chat with a neighbor. That's the suggestion. I'd suggest notice what time of day your neighbors tend to walk up and down your street. And then pick a time when, when you notice that they're out to take a walk to see if you'll bump into a neighbor. As you walk, you can just pray for your neighbors. And if you bump into a neighbor or two, stop, ask them how they're doing, ask them how the pandemic is affecting them, and then take time to listen to them. And then if appropriate, share how you're doing with them. And be honest, don't candy coat it. Tell them how you're doing. So it's that simple. If that won't work for you, if, if you aren't able to walk in your neighborhood or you don't have neighbors or whatever, um, you could think about a friend or a neighbor or a colleague that you could reach out to. Um, you could give them a call and uh, tell them you were thinking about them and then ask them how they're doing and you could tell them how you were doing. So that's the challenge for this first week. Again, just one simple way that we can be missionaries right in our neighborhood. Imagine if 120 of us all do that. All right, let's move on second to the S. Support one another like family. This is the in part. We more than ever need to be a spiritual family, the spiritual family that Jesus envisions us to be. This virus is hitting us, each of us differently, right? Some of us still have our jobs. Others of us have lost theirs. Some of us are stuck at home alone. Others are, are stuck home with little children, or maybe the children are stuck home with their parents. Some have gotten sick from the virus. Others of us have escaped. Our job as a spiritual family is to help one another through this, like we're going to do at one o'clock, right? Like we talked about earlier. It's to make sure we get through this like we would do for a family. And again, this isn't something that, where the church can organize the whole thing. We can try to facilitate the communication and the coordination. But this is something we have to do for one another as people. We need to look out for each other in our circle of connections. And what we can do as a church is make sure everyone has a way to be connected. By being in a small group with a handful of others who are meeting regularly for support, for companionship, for encouragement, to keep one another focused on transformation, on uh, the up and out aspects of our love, as well as the in. And we can't meet in person right now uh, as small groups, but we can meet online or we can meet on the phone. And if you're not in a group right now, um, 
we'd love to help you find one. That's something that we can do as a church. We can reboot some of our transformation groups. Uh, we can maybe start some other groups that meet during the week or get you connected with one that's already meeting. If you'd like to be in a group, please contact me. Um, you can use dick at communitybiblechurch.org to contact me or just contact the church office and we'll try to get you connected with a group. So that's the E, each of us is a missionary, and the S, support one another like family. Lastly, the D is dig deeper into God. If we're going to move past fear to love, we need to know that God loves us, and we need to know who God is for us. We need hope, we need strength, we need reminders of who we are as God's people and what we're called to. We need to know God more. And what better time to do that now, uh, that, or rather than now, to get to know God better. God's people have always grown really well in tough times. And we've been focusing on this a lot over the, the past weeks through this series that we did on transformation. And even though our series has ended, the work of transformation in our lives has not, right? And so we want to continue to pursue it together, to press in, to dig deep into God. All right, we can uh, put that slide down. So that's our vision as a church during this time, living out the up, in, and out love that Jesus demonstrated as our leader.